0: Gratitude. By far and large, gratitude. Mm-hmm. They're so used to being treated like a number or an animal or subhuman that anyone who comes in and looks at them with respect, they're just so... they. I feel safe there because their social norms
1: mm-hmm. won't let them mess that up. That's Christy Dinsmore and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Kara Duffy. And in this episode, I have a very powerful conversation with Christy Dinsmore, the co-founder of Re-Evolution, a nonprofit organization working with incarcerated youth to reduce incarceration in general, transition them upon release into powerful members of society, but really to heal harm and build communities. The work she and her team are doing is needed, important, and such a powerful reminder that there is so much room for compassion in this world. I'm excited for you to hear her story and curious about what it inspires in you. You can always leave a comment about this episode at thepowerfulladiescom forward slash podcast. Before we jump into this episode, I wanna to speak to all of you who are currently Googling how to make a career change, how to start building your own business or how to avoid going back to my old job. I am here for you. That's why I built my Thrive membership. That's why I built courses in my other programs. I really mean it when I say I'm here to help you achieve your dream life. Visit CaraDuffy.com to book a free call today or skip directly to learn.caraDuffy.com to check out Thrive and the other programs that you can start working on right now. Let's create a custom plan that will actually work for a unique you, for your unique dream life. Let's start today. Uh, welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. I'm very happy to have you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Of course. let's begin. Let's tell everybody listening who you are, where in the world you live right now, and what you're up to.
0: My name is Christy Dinsmore. I live in Venice Beach, California, uh, Los Angeles. And what am I up to right now? I am running a nonprofit. It's called Revolution. Um, I am that, that that literally takes up 110 percent of my time. to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the other, you know, I would say like 10% of of time that I have left, which I know that doesn't equal a hundred. My, my twin sister just had a baby and she lives across the street. So that's definitely forefront of, of my mind and and my experience and sort of like my well wishes to her and, and her new baby.
1: I love that. Well, congratulations to her and your family. Thank you. Tell us what does your nonprofit do? We do like rehabilitative and self-help groups.
0: We started out in California state prisons. And then as people that we were working with in the prisons were getting out and needing support that they weren't finding readily available, we were like, oh, I guess we should do that too. So um, now we do re-entry support. We're based in Los Angeles. And um, fortunately, a lot of our services can easily be done over the phone or email or Mm -hmm. Zoom. So we're helping people all over the state. Uh, We focus on youth offenders. So that doesn't mean that they're youth currently. It means they were youth when they went into the system. So um, we do a lot of leadership classes, Mm -hmm. like self-development classes, victim impact classes in prisons, focused on 18 to 25-year-olds, which in California are considered youth because they've decided the brain is very much still developing until you're 25. And we have a lot of people that were like 14, 15, 16 when they went in, but are 40, 50, 60 when they come out. And so they're sort of on the same page where all of them missed all that, missed all that grooming or that upbringing where they were learned to adult. Mm -hmm. And so even though some might be 18 and some might be 68, they have a very similar relationship to the world.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the work you're doing is fascinating. I have a ton of questions. So I think I'll start. I loved on your LinkedIn profile that you talked about how passionate you've been about you know, human trafficking and the cause of so many of the struggles people have in life are tied back to some core things. You know, what are those core things or events that happen that can kind of predict that things are not going to go the way we would expect them to or are going to cause people to be incarcerated or to have just the bad things in life, to categorize it loosely, happen to us?
0: Um. I don't think there's an exact right answer that's going to be applied the same to everybody. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. like a little bit of our our um, our DNA seems to seep in there and, and, and react differently to certain, you know, the same situations for two different mm-hmm. people. But really, I think it's community by and mm-hmm. far. Like every everyone that you see, if you really learn their stories, I mean, people look at, you know, like, a let's say, a 48 year old man in prison as in, you know, a dangerous, strong man that is an adult that should know better and all that the likelihood is that they were a child or at least a teenager when, when something started or when they were being abused or when they were Mm -hmm. skipping through foster care or, you know, some, whatever it was that happened to them. And so it's community. Most of them, most of them will say that they, they didn't trust the world. They didn't know that Mm -hmm. they, that people could be kind to them. They had a chip on their shoulder. They thought it was them against everybody else. Um, that kind of thing. And so really like it's the social bond that's missing. Mm -hmm. And so people need a chance to feel cared. They need to feel safe. They need food. They need shelter. They need education. Mm-hmm. And they just need to know that they're going to be loved and accepted by more, more than one, you know, more than just, you know, a sibling or just a parent, but by by society.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's such an interesting way to put it, right? Because if we if we think it's us against the world, we have no relatedness of all of us being connected. Absolutely. what we have in common. So it's easier to steal from someone or hurt somebody else if you don't know them, because there's no, literally no relatedness at all. You know, what, when you look at the population that you're working with, how common is it that they have been in foster care or that they were abused? Like, how common is it that there is a, at least one source thing that you can kind of go back to and be like, oh, it may have started here. This may have been one of those factors that changed whatever direction you were going in.
0: pretty much all of them. It's very rare that I don't, when I don't get down to being, you know, being able to share the whole story that Mm -hmm. I'm not like, Oh, you know, that makes sense. And it doesn't mean that it's an excuse. You know, I think that that's the thing that a lot of people come across is, well, I had a hard time and I didn't do that. And that's so true. It's not an excuse, but we don't all react the same way. You know, I mean like the divorce for me, my parents got divorced and I said, Oh, thank God you guys won't fight anymore. Like, no worries. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with it. It was not hard on me at all. And yet, yeah. like a lot of studies have proven that, that parents getting divorced is really hard on their kids. And so to me, I was like, what, that's not, that doesn't make sense to me, but okay. yeah. And so we can't apply the same, like that we would take it the same way as somebody else. But realistically, you know, I mean, most of them, most of the people I've worked with have either real stories of abuse, abuse, mm-hmm. foster care, um, poverty, and, or. Uh, in in California, gangs are really prevalent. And so there's Mm -hmm. just this culture that embodies a lot of that stuff, but also there's just this culture of being brought up in violence. Mm -hmm. And I think that people have this idea that like, you know, grandparents, grandmothers, mothers are are naturally going to help like balance that out, but it's just not true. You Mm -hmm. know, I have have people I work with that at 12 watched their best friend get shot in front of them and went home and cried. And their mom said, don't you, you know, don't you fucking cry. They put a gun in their hand. They said, go do something about it, but don't you dare cry in this house. And so- there's, all, I think that when we're not raised around that, we discount how strong that is around some people, and
1: that and where that leads yeah. them. Especially when you're craving community, and yeah. and that inclusiveness that, um, you know all humans want love. So, you know, you'll you get it where you can get it usually, right? The path of least resistance doesn't mean it's always the right one for us. And even those of Absolutely. us who haven't been incarcerated, we have so many examples of just bad relationship choices we've made, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, that, and, and to that point, like a lot
0: of it is just who got caught and who didn't, or who ended up with a more abusive partner yeah. or a partner that talked them in. I work with a woman whose partner talked her in to helping her um, go, go hurt his mom because he was against his mom, but she was like, Um, he, he, she was a a victim of domestic abuse, you know, domestic Mm -hmm. violence, and he basically forced her to do it, but she didn't know how to say no to him. And again, it's not an excuse, but Mm -hmm. I hear these stories all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, and then obviously drug, mental health and drug abuse, uh, Mm -hmm. usually due to those things are a huge part of it. And, and a lot of men, our culture doesn't allow for men to say they were abused as readily. It's getting, it's getting better, getting easier, but it's a very slow path for them. And so like a lot of the men I work with, for years and years, nobody knew. Nobody knew mm-hmm. they were having a hard time. Nobody knew their uncle uncle molested them. No one mm-hmm. knew, you know, those kinds of things. And really they were happening. So I think we undercount how many people are having a hard time.
1: Yeah. How did you get into this work?
0: Sometimes I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I feel, I always say I'm chasing a snowball downhill. Mm-hmm. I had a handful of friends go to prison when I was like just getting out of high school. Mm-hmm. and um they were clearly crying out for help most of them you know they were good kids a lot of them were were pretty smart they were athletic they had a lot of things going for them and their parents were busy their yeah. parents were workaholics their parents were one of them was like the the mayor one of them was you know they, they were just busy and these kids were like you're not paying enough attention outwardly i mean they mm-hmm. even in court they were saying yeah we were trying to we were trying to tell our, our parents if you don't watch us we're going to do something and it just had this escalation effect where they mm-hmm. started out small and no one, no one noticed or worried, and then they got bigger and no one noticed or worried until it was like yeah. armed robbery of, of like grocery and convenience stores, and um, they all went to prison. And I went to their court dates. I visited them in prison, and I and I wasn't too too enchanted with the justice system. The take it's like it it, it takes mm-hmm. people, punishes them, makes them worse, makes life harder, and then expects that somehow anything's going to get any better, and so. Um, when I was in, just getting out of high school, I discovered a process called restorative justice. At the time, it was fairly new in my area. It was in Colorado, but it was just being mm-hmm. um, integrated into like the, the justice system and the police forces for like misdemeanors, where there's like a mediation between victims and offender. And it was meant to bring about that awareness, that community. And so I got trained as a restorative justice mediator. And my first case was just a teenage boy who had been dared to break into a, a woman's basement. And instead of him going into the system, she agreed to do a mediation. And the process is like whatever the victim needs to heal and whatever the, the offender needs to like learn and grow. And she was like terrified, couldn't sleep in her house alone, thought not mm-hmm. all the time someone was out to get her. When's the next person coming, all that stuff. And he was like, it was just a dare. No big deal, you know? And so when he was able to see how he really affected her, he was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize. And that, and he was able to grow past, like, you know, thinking that it was okay to do that kind of thing. And she was able to see that there was no boogeyman out there. Yeah, You know, it's just a teen. And she was like, oh, okay. And what happened is he had to pay for her window and he had to go by every day on his way home from school and check on her to see if she was okay. And they ended up forming a really beautiful relationship that healed both of them. And this kid that you know, with regard, like, on a scale of crime, this kid that could have gone into the system and then inevitably would have definitely gotten worse and things mm-hmm. would have, you know, that statistics show that he would have gone downhill. Yeah. Um, he stayed out and he and he learned a really beautiful lesson. And so did she, you know? And so I got involved with that, um, like, misdemeanors lower levels when I was young. I was 19. And then I moved to California to go to college and never left and had to reconnect. <laughs> took me a few years to reconnect with people in this arena here. Mm-hmm. And, um once i did i kind of dove head in and i started running self help groups in prisons and then my 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 boss at the time at the first one and i like left and started our own which is now revolution.
1: Yeah. No, i love that. We've had um two amazing female defense attorneys from Colorado the Boulder Denver area on our podcast. Uh so if you want some connections back there and see what they're doing i'd love to connect you. Um absolutely. But they come from a very similar place of their defense lawyers because the system isn't as just as we think it is. And they're really big also on, um, they've done quite a few cases that are, I forget what the name is right now. You, you, I'm sure you're more familiar where they uh, help prove people innocent. Like the innocent project. Yeah, the project. innocent project maybe, yeah. yeah. Yes, um, but we don't, people who haven't been in the system don't realize how many things are stacked against you even when our system is supposed to be innocent or guilty. You know, innocent until proven guilty. It's often the opposite. Um, You know, and and a lot of people would say how brave you are for going into this work because I think so many people are afraid to go into those spaces for themselves and what they might see and experience. Um, What do you see when you go into uh, a prison, especially with these young people?
0: Gratitude. By far and large, gratitude. Mm-hmm. They're so used to being treated like a number or an animal or subhuman that anyone who comes in and looks at them with respect, they're just so... They, I feel safe there because their social norms mm-hmm. won't let them mess that up, essentially. You know, I yeah. mean, if, if not only do almost all of them want to see us, they yeah. want our groups, they want the fun, they want the change of atmosphere, they want someone who looks at them like a human being. Mm-hmm. And so if they were to mess that up, I think even for themselves, that would be terrible. But the, the community would just like, they'd be out. You know what I mean? And not necessarily in a good way. So um, it's gratitude. Yeah, I feel Mm -hmm. totally safe inside there.
1: Yeah. I remember reading an article about how they removed the ability to give hugs in prison and touching and what a negative impact that had. Has that changed? Is that still the policy? And, you know, what do you know uh, about how important physical touches, even if it's holding someone's hand when they're in that situation. I can only speak for the California state prisons. Um,
0: mm-hmm. They can touch each other a little bit. I mean, there are rules against getting too close, but I, I definitely don't see those being enforced. I've seen seen you know two people who are incarcerated definitely go up and give each other a nice big hug. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely not allowed to, and I've I've gotten uh, in trouble for for um, sh- shaking hands too long. Um, yeah. So there's that too. Um, I'm, 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 I'm tempted to like revisit, there's a story of a, a, a an experiment they did on um, chimpanzees, I think it was, or, or like monkey babies where one they fed, but they never touched it. They had like a bottle it could feed from, but they never touched it. And the other one, they never fed, but they cuddled it all the time. And the one that got cuddled, but not fed actually lived longer. And I think they repeated that many times and found the same result. And it's just like a, the studies they did of a lot of like, um, children, orphanages rush and stuff like that, that were, they mm-hmm. wouldn't, they were getting sick. They wouldn't survive unless somebody came and held them. And that's why, that's why they look like volunteers to go to the NICU and hold babies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And these guys, yeah, the people that we work with inside are starved for some sort of love and connection. I, there's a lot of dog training programs, which are really cool because there's mm-hmm. not, there's no rules against touching the dogs, which is nice. And at least it's another living thing. Yeah. And, um, I watched a man who had been incarcerated 30 years pet a dog for the first time in 30 years. And he just broke down sobbing like uncontrollably in that Mm -hmm. moment. And so, um, as someone who, who I personally know that I can't go very long without a hug or a touch to like ground me in my, in my life. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so, so important and they're definitely lacking it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting emotional just thinking about like not being able to touch my own like dog and, You know, we, we just had a, we were dog sitting for a friend who fosters service animals before they go to the prison to get their real training. And like, this dog is so sweet and loving. Like, I can't wait to know who's going to be her trainer because you can't not be loved by this dog. Like, it's impossible. Um, Yeah. I wish that there, are there things happening to make the prison process more humane?
0: Absolutely. They're, they're baby steps. You know I mean? It's a gigantic bureaucratic system and California is a huge state with one of the biggest prison populations in the country. So yes. And it's, it's going to be slow. The first or most common thing that's going on in California is the, the movement for youth offenders to really take people who's, who are still developing, who they, they essentially see their brains as moldable Mm -hmm. and instead of sending them into the system, they're sending them through a lot more diversion, mentorship, Um, the ones that are in prison or, or do have to go to prison the California state youth offender program, um, sends them to a prison that's one level lower than their crime normally would have required because every level you get higher, like the higher security, mm-hmm. then the more dangerous, you know, the, the, bad, the worse, the influences, the less programs they have, the less movement they have. So every time they can stay out of the system or go lower in the system, it's better. And mm-hmm. they're having mentors, like guys that have been in there for a long time that have sort of reformed, and they become, I call them the stage ones because they've done so much self-help. They're just like, they're so solid and they're so wise and they've resigned to like figuring out how to live a meaningful life, even though most of them have life without parole, they're going to die in prison. Yeah. And they, they pick these guys to mentor the youth and they're turning, there's, there's something called the Norway model. Norway has been of it. very, yeah, it's, but you should I, I encourage everyone to look it up if anyone has any interest in this area because Norway's um, correction system is shown to have really great results. Essentially like the, the population is safe while they're there, the staff are safe while they're there and their, their recidivism rates are like the lowest in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're super humane. Like, to, to most of the world, we look at it like, what do you mean, that's punishment? That's like, they're giving them a, a nice place to live in their own room, and they can wear their own clothes, and they go to work, and they have a full kitchen. And um, But it's because the whole point is those people that are disconnected from their sense of humanity, they're, they're teaching them what it feels like, how to be pro-social, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so um, California is starting their first youth campus, and they're saying they're trying to, to mimic the Norway model, and it's still far from, but it's a really good ode to um, the movement that they want to be making. And so they're going to try to send anyone who's under 25 there and treat it more like a college campus. Like they want them to go to to classes. They want to make sure that there's like readily available, um, vocational training, because Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff, even if you, if you read about it, it, it'll say that it's available, but the reality is the classes are always full. The instructors never show up, you Mm -hmm. know, people that they're not, they're not well managed to be honest with you. And so a lot of the things that, um, on paper, the correction system might say it's doing; it's just really not. Yeah. Um, and so they're trying to make sure that this this one um, prison that's set up for youth is like really, really well set up to actually like um, administer and and run their programs like that in a better way for the youth. They're going towards the youth first. Yeah. And I think as that starts to do better, they'll start to um, translate to more facilities. Do you
1: know the percentage of of youth? Uh, in prison versus adults, so over twenty five versus under,
0: I don't you know what I probably mm-hmm. should, but um, I think it's more about wh- who are youth when they start since most okay. people once you start the recidivism the recidivism rate is like through the roof, it's usually yeah. like uh, above eighty percent um and almost all I mean literally it's above ninety percent. I know that are all start
1: as youth. Mm-hmm. yeah, because it's that's you know it's the same time that we start doing anything bad, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's when like, you know, a lot of our our emotions and our and our desire to claim our own space and to want respect or to want, mm-hmm. you know, to build a life, but without necessarily all of the checkpoints that like we we learn with our maturity and when our, our hormones settle down a little bit and all that.
1: Yeah. And and just not just not even knowing what we're supposed to be doing with ourselves. I mean, for crying out loud, yeah. most adults I know also don't know what they're supposed to be doing with their lives. They just know, you know preferably not to do that by committing crimes. Right. So. Right. Right. They um, just figured
0: out some certain, certain systems or places or, or groups to get by with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I think as well, when you, again, with that not yet developed brain, we don't always assume that people mean what they say they mean. Like, is it really that bad? Am I really getting it caught? Is it there's, when we think we're invincible, we think all the other rules are, are a little bit fluffy. Um, and the the, the I know consequences I are fluffy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, what is it? So on a day to day basis, you're going into the prisons. You're you're doing classes. You're doing workshops. You're also doing them virtually, probably especially now with COVID. Yeah. Um, what progress are you seeing? Like, are, is it just you? Is it a team? Like, what does it really look like when we see revolution in in work?
0: Um, that depends in prison. It's a lot more structured because you have a captive audience, you have a room and date and a time that has to be pre-approved, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, the facilitators and volunteers are pre-approved. And so that's a lot more structured and, and that's cool. Cause it, it works well that way. Mm-hmm. Um, outside is like <laughs> so messy <laughs> and it's, you know, it's because there are a lot of services. But I would say it's a lot like, um, I don't know if anyone understands Section 8 housing in California or like, you know, a lot of the the social services that are overwhelmed. You might not be able mm-hmm. to get anyone to call you back, that kind of thing. And so there are a lot of services for people coming out more and more all the time right now, to be honest with you. Um, there's been a lot of funding diverted towards that and towards just like really specific ways um, of mostly like transitional housing, making sure that mm-hmm. people go from prison into transitional housing. Um, before they're just released to the community and that's usually for like the longer term offenders um but or like sober living or or rehab if they had if they had a drug drug problem um but i think it's it's, again it's a lot like that if people have a sincere commitment to what they're being hired to do because there's money in it there's a lot of people that are signing up to run transitional houses or sober living houses or groups um Mm -hmm. for the sake of checking boxes to to earn a paycheck And what we have found at Reevolution is that someone teaches a workshop on financial literacy and everyone shows up for four hours and watches a PowerPoint. And then they're like 46 and spent, you know, 36 years in prison and they go, you know, essentially juvie, foster care like that. But in the system, they walk out and they go, I didn't understand a word of that. And I have no idea where to start with my own life. And I think even Mm -hmm. a lot of us that like, I have a master's degree. And there are times when I go through an online, you know, signing up for my my EDD when I lost my job for COVID, right? I had a night job bartending. Um, I I I did it wrong the first time. I had a hard time. I got deni- I got denied, and they said you fill out you know this and this, yep. and I said oh that's not that's not what I meant to do. I guess I answered that question wrong. And I have a master's degree, and so what we've been find, finding by and large is expecting these people to just be able to go through like a pamphlet or a, a Zoom workshop mm-hmm. or like something in a group and then apply it to their life. It just doesn't work. And so our philosophy has been that it has to be, it has re has to be personal. And almost everything we do is one-to-one. Mm-hmm. We have community events, community building activities, hikes, barbecues. We're going to the beach next week and doing surf lessons. Very. Um, cool. And that's all designed towards helping that pro-social. Like, how do you join? What does it look like to have a normal life and go do things with people that are fun and they aren't, you know, dangerous or illegal. Um, but other than that, almost everything is one-on-one. Someone schedules, a, you know, an appointment or a Zoom and mm-hmm. goes, I need help with this. And we go, okay, let's dial in together. Let's fill this form out together. We're going to make sure you get it done. And yeah. so it's, a, it's very labor intensive. Instead of being able to you know, say, yeah, we, we served 30 people in one workshop today, it takes me 60 hours to, to serve 30 people.
1: I, I think a lot of people don't get the difference between sharing something with someone and then being committed that they get it with someone. And I love that that's the work that you guys are doing, because making sure we can make all the things, but just because we made it doesn't mean anyone got it. And I love your example of you the financial liter- literacy course, because I, I do a lot of business-based education or habit-based education, and I have to remember to start at step negative 10, because even people who are you know, high-level professionals don't know what we know, and you know, um, I have friends who are very active in CASA, the court appointed uh special advocates yeah. for foster youth. And they do great work. Yeah, it's like I'm it's one of the best organizations that I've had the chance to interact with. And they have this great example of a of a a foster kid who got a job, was doing great, and his you know, Casa went to go talk to him, Like, cool, how much money have you saved? And he's like, Well, I haven't gotten paid. And he's like, What are you talking about? He's like, Well, I get these these pieces of paper, but like, no one's giving me money. He had no idea what a check was. He didn't know Mm -hmm. how to go deposit it. And so I can so see someone who's 45 doing a financial literary class, not even knowing what the definitions are. And suddenly we're giving them, we don't realize we're giving somebody, you know, the equivalent of of AP bio when they just needed to know, like, what is science? And where it's, it's, I see it all the time, even in, you know, higher level, silly things like how to even do Instagram, right? But these core fundamental skills that people need, we have to remember to start at zero, which is part of why I love, and I don't know if you've shared this with anyone in your community, there's a great YouTube channel, um, uh, Hey Dad or Ask Dad, where a dad made all these videos about how to do really basic things that he would tell his kids so that other people could learn it. And the the comments people leave of like, no one ever told me how to ta- tie a tie. I was so embarrassed to ask. I'm an adult, I have a degree and I'm so glad I had your video because now like I had a safe place to go learn that and not feel like an idiot.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned mm-hmm. the key word, which is a safe place. Cause mm-hmm. I, I find, you know, even like I said, with the workshops or the service providers, when they say, yeah, we're supposed to offer that or teach that, or, you can ask me, but if they don't trust you, and a lot of them don't trust, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily trust, um, you know, the, the staff at their transitional houses. They don't necessarily trust, you know, caseworkers, social workers. They definitely don't yeah. trust their probation officers or parole officers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been really good at building, um, a relationship that, that fosters like safety and people, people will ask me anything. And I, yeah. and I'm like hesitant almost not to share. Cause I don't want to just, i like, I feel like there was no, that I'm talking about them even, <laughs> but you know, from like, you know, honestly, if you're, if you're 40, 50, you've been in, in prison since you're 14, a lot of them are coming out like the 40 year old virgin, you know, and they mm-hmm. have that there's so much stigma and shame around that, and there's no one to talk to. Um, and so, you know, from that to you know, getting a job to some of them are doing great and really, but then they're they're in their job and they're like, it's been two years, and I I think I need a, a raise or something. I'm I'm making minimum wage, and I don't know how to ask for that. And they, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, well, here here's here's the, here's the questions you ask. You you yeah. have to decide what your what your bar is, what your limit is, what you can do, what you're worth, and mm-hmm. and what else you can do. You know, you don't want to be claiming the whole world and then quitting when really you, you can't find another job that, just like this. So, you know, let's decide where's your, where's your bar at? And then mm-hmm. how do you walk in and say like, look, this is what I need. Um, and so it's everything.
1: It's just mm-hmm. everything, you know? Well, and it and opens up to the whole world of everyone listening. Like I have a whole course about sharing your knowledge. Like people don't realize how much we know that somebody else would love to know. And this just is more validation that there are things everyone knows that somebody else doesn't and it can sound so silly but like why not see who who needs that help like I I, you know I the closest equivalent I have to this you know telling of the people you work with when I was 26 I moved to Germany and I felt like a five-year-old because I could handle things but I didn't know how to do them in that culture I didn't know how to order food or you know do the grocery store, everything was different. The rules were different. Like the the unspoken rules about like, do you bring your bags? Do you not bring your bags? How close do you stand in line to somebody? When do you wait? How do you pay? Like all the things were so different. And it was such an out-of-body experience to feel like I was five years old again. Luckily in that situation, that's expected. So there are people there that could help you, but we don't realize how... Um, so many people deal with that here in the U S all the time, whether it is immigrants or people out of jail or veterans, or even the elderly, when there's so much technology changing, like you get cut off so quickly and you, it's hard. It feels hard to get back into it.
0: And it is, you actually described it perfectly. Cause I always tell people, I warn guys when they're coming home from prison, not to see themselves as like deficient but that they just moved to a new country. And I tell them, if, if I move to China tomorrow, I would feel the same way that you're going to feel when you go home next week. But it's not because I'm deficient. It's because it's just a whole new culture. Like you're, you, mm-hmm. you do fine in this culture. It's just a whole different culture. Mm-hmm. But with regard to some of the stuff, like, you know, techn- if we've been out here, we all have some exposure to technology. We all have some exposure to some mm-hmm. of the norms. We have some problem solving, some adulting, some like foundation to stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, that they have in their own way. But yeah, when it comes to technology and stuff, there's really just none. And so um, I would say it's like, yeah, it's like being dropped in Germany when you're 12. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. well, and, and I'm sure as well, there's like that whole element of like, what they don't know, they don't know, because they don't even know it's there to ask about it or that they should know. Absolutely, um, yeah. There's even...
0: Yeah, and then there's that yeah. embarrassment. Like I'm a grown, you know, I'm a grown up and and how do I tell somebody? And then And then there's also this thinking like, well, if I tell somebody that I don't know how to use a cell phone, they're going to know I was in prison because the only way I don't know how to use a cell phone is because I was—I must have been gone, you know? Yeah. And so they also feel like they're like outing themselves.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I hear more and more about companies that are really committed to hiring hiring people who have been incarcerated. Do you see that shifting or is it still really challenging to get back into the workforce?
0: Um, I'm not sure because I, I'm hesitant to not, praise good work for those that are. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think in certain circles, it's, it's it's it, it, again, it's baby steps. Like it definitely is, but li- a little and probably not nearly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of the people that I personally see hiring people who are formerly incarcerated are usually like service providers and their friends. It's, it's people that are close to this issue already. And then it's bigger corporations that get a tax break. And so um, I'm always hesitant not to talk for other people. I can't tell you what their motivation is. Yeah. Um, but there is I know that amongst the people that are getting out, there's a lot of feeling like the only jobs that they ha- they can get are the entry level minimum wage sort of jobs that, you know, like um, a big corporation wants to give them. And that it's because they get tax breaks they, in California. You get a tax break for every formerly incarcerated person you hire. And so people do question the motivation. Like there's mm-hmm. not a lot in meaningful, well-paid, you know, support yourself as an adult work that someone coming out can find.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more entry hourly minimum wage. Yeah, definitely. Um you know when you look at who you were when you were 8, would she ever imagine that this is what you were doing today? Like are you surprised with where you've ended up?
0: I'm not at all. No, I think I think when I was 10, I watched a human trafficking movie with my or human trafficking movie with my mother and looked at her and I said, "One day I'm going to help those people." I just have and my mother's an activist um we lived in a small town where there wasn't a whole lot of uh, politically connected like things to do and um when we went to war in Iraq, she marched up and down main street by herself with a sign um and, like I think if people didn't know her, she'd think she they think she was the town crazy, but she's just <laughs> always had an a gigantic sense of um advocacy and justness and and needing to speak out for what she believed in or for other people that couldn't speak for themselves and she raised me to be that way, so I think um it's just always been in my bones. I've always understood that there was injustice in the world. I've always understood that we were all better together. I've always understood that I wanted to be a part of community building and whatever makes us stronger as as humanity, you know?
1: Yeah. And the work you do is, of course, you know, high emotionally taxing if we let it. And there's always, especially working with underserved communities, sometimes you mentioned uh, following a snowball downhill. I'm sure it also feels like pushing a huge rock uphill at the same time. What do you do for yourself to make sure that you are at your best so that you can keep showing up for this community that needs you?
0: Um, Two things. In my personal life, I have a great community. I have a great community Mm -hmm. of people that um, are really eclectic but are all very okay with having real discussions. And we have a lot of real support. And we also have a lot of fun. Um, I think that being able to play and not take ourselves too seriously is extremely important for compensating for the stressful parts of our life. And I'm lucky Mm -hmm. that I have, um, a a network in my social life that is, is really fun and really outgoing and really adventurous. We try new things all the time. Um, and that really feeds me. I'm an extrovert. People feed me. And Mm -hmm. so in the same light, um, my work feeds me. COVID has been really hard because when I sit in a workshop, when I sit in a circle, whether it's one where people laugh the whole time or cry the whole time, and actually it's usually a little bit of both, like that feeds me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when people say thank you, when someone says, Oh, I learned something today, or like, wow, I, I'm walking out of this room feeling better than I came in, like that feeds me. And so for whatever we have to do in the office, our interviews, or our paperwork, or our taxes, or our fundraising, um, all of my actual like client-centered person-to-person work really feeds me. Um COVID was really hard because of that. It kind of turned into mm-hmm. mostly just computer work and sending in correspondence packets. And, and I've seen that throughout my, my field with a lot of colleagues and, and other organizations that not being able to do the, the person-to-person work that makes all the hard stuff worth it really, really weighed down a lot of people, myself mm-hmm. included. Yep.
1: You mentioned your mother before. Who are other powerful ladies or humans in general that have inspired you and supported you on your path? Um,
0: Kether Axelrod is one. I had it. She was like, actually, it was an acting class. I took when I was 13, 12, 13. Um, but this woman, anyone who knows her knows, she's just a force to be reckoned with. And she was just so stood so strongly in her own two feet and, you know, spoke her mind so well, but so articulately. And, um, she definitely was someone I always was like, wow, if I can, I can feel as powerful as she can and not like over others, but just so, so confident in my own self. um, I have a lot of good friends. My girlfriend, her name's Keegan, Keegan Amit. She's um, Anna, Anna Olanova recommended mm-hmm. me to this podcast. I have, I have some really amazing women that are like, they're, they're designing their own lives. And more than that, it's just the way that when I talk to them or when they show up, there's always something curious. There's always mm-hmm. something loving. There's always something willing to work harder. And when I see women that are doing that in their own selves, it motivates me to do it for myself too.
1: Love that. We ask everyone, um, on the podcast where they put themselves in the powerful lady scale, one being average everyday human and 10 being the most powerful lady that they could imagine. Where would you put yourself today? And where would you put yourself on average? One is your average human being. Oh, I played zero. The average human being usually (laughs) Zero, zero is the average human being.
0: Wow. That's so, so the average human being is like the bottom (laughs) (laughs) of the powerful Um, ladies
1: scale. Yes.
0: Yeah. I would say that, um,
1: honestly, I feel like a five pretty, pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty consistent five. Yeah. Love it. Um, we also ask everybody, you know, we talked about powerful ladies who've inspired you, but when you hear the words powerful and the word ladies separate, what do they mean to you? And does the definition change when they're combined?
0: Well, I don't think it does. Because pow- to me, powerful means feeling comfortable in my own skin. It means being comfortable in my own voice, being able to set my own boundaries, knowing what those are and, know, and feeling totally okay with claiming them, um, you know, being okay with saying no, being okay with um, loving the things I love, doing the activities you want to do without, you know, reading the books you want to read, eating the food you want to eat. I mean, I had a conversation, it seems so trivial, but with my dad recently, he was visiting and he saw someone eating alone at a, at a restaurant. He said, do people do that? And I said, why not? Uh-huh. You know I mean, like, who cares? Why would you, why should you feel ashamed to eat by yourself? Maybe you want to read a book. Maybe you need a break from whoever you are around, you know? Mm-hmm. So to me, being powerful means being totally okay with doing any of that, all of that, whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. Um, and the word ladies for me, you know, I've had a love hate with that my whole life. I grew up kind of wanting to be a tomboy trying to prove that I was as tough as any guy and could keep up. Mm-hmm. And I hated pink and I wouldn't wear skirts. And now I love pink and I love skirts <laughs> and I love my dresses and I love feeling like a lady. And mm-hmm. it's um I guess it's just because I've learned to own more of that part of myself, but now I just feel like I have all of it. Like it's I'm more diverse. I always say I feel like a chameleon. Like you put me in any environment and I'll be fine. You know, and so um, I don't see a reason why a lady should be any different than any other guy or any other person, but, um, I guess I do understand that for some people feeling lady-like might not be in their, in their wheelhouse or their comfort zone, but, um,
1: yeah. It's, it's so interesting I'm kind of not sure if I answered that or not, but that's <laughs> what I got for you. You did, you did. I, I think it's really interesting how, you know, ex- uh, Every woman who's been on this podcast has a, a very distinct perspective of what powerful means. It's pretty consistent. But the ladies part is the one that everyone has a very different approach to. And you mentioned so much its about either how we were raised or how we were told what we could or couldn't or shouldn't do or vice versa or you know what, how that word was introduced to us Absolutely. and how that's decided something, right? Because it's even a, a phrase that I have have struggled with because I just want to talk to interesting humans, right. Who are up to things that are making the world a better place. And so of course I cheat every once in a while, i have amazing men on here because I can, because, you know, I, cause I my podcast my rules, right. Yeah, um, but, totally. but we've been keeping Maybe. the, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And I think um,
0: it's something I, we're, we're, we're in social justice. And so it's not just um, incarceration, but a lot of, you know, the, addressing people and knowing their pronouns and that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. and and we see a lot of people that if they go oh well you can't say she and I know a lot of like transgender people that go no I worked really hard for for a she I want to be a she I don't want to be a they I want to be a she you know and so um it's just you're so right it's 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 so individual and it's how we're brought up and it's what we want it's how we see ourselves and and uh, we each get to do that however we want
1: yes um it's it's so true right and I had a really profound conversation with a friend of mine who's from Peru because I was like, you know, should we change the name to like Powerful Humans? And he's like, you can't. He's like, as much progress is being made in California or in the U.S. or even Western Europe, like it's not being made elsewhere. And he's like, please keep it in this space. Like have the bigger conversations, talk to other people. But you know, until everyone knows that it's possible, like, please keep it. And I thought that was so interesting to come from uh, a male perspective, and especially from a place that's traditionally, you know, Latin America is known for the machismo approach to life, right? So it was really touching to have him remind me that it's not not as move forward as we think it is, which, of course, keeps coming up in the past um, past couple of years in particular, when, when you look at women in the system versus men, like, do you see differences in how progress is being made or how they're, what access they're given to being reintegrated into society?
0: Well, there's a lot more men in the system than there are women. Mm -hmm. And so, um, good, good or bad, I guess, Unfortunately, there's a lot more services, like anything that has to be segregated, like transitional housing or that kind of thing. There is a lot more services for men than there are for Mm -hmm. women. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of services and events that are, that are open to both as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They meet different, different stigmas, you know, I mean, I think, I think, um, I've seen um, uh, meetings, you know, workshops and stuff around this, that as bad as it is to be a man that comes out of prison a lot of people understand that more. They understand that men are more Mm -hmm. aggressive. They understand that they might've done A, B, and C or gotten in a bar fight. You know, I think people start to like develop a scenario for themselves. Um, And women who have been in prison are looked down on often socially, like even more like, well, women aren't supposed to fight. Women aren't supposed to be aggressive. If you went to prison, like what what was wrong with you? You know, Mm -hmm. and so um, they do find that they face like extra social stigmas.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And of course, I just hear an opportunity, right? So anyone listening who wants to help that group, go do it because, you know, they, if there's a missing, then there's somebody who can fill it.
0: And there's ne- there's never too many of us. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that that's, there's a lot of, a lot of people feel like there's a lot of competition and that's that's because funding in, in a nonprofit world, you're always competing for grants and whatnot. But like, there's never, there's never, we're never full of good intention or goodwill. you know, there's always yeah.
1: more. Yes. And speaking of that, for everyone listening who wants to support you or get involved or follow you, what are all the things you have going on and how can they do that?
0: Um, Anyone who happens to be um, in one of the bigger cities in California, um, Sacramento, the Bay Area, Fresno, San Diego, Los Angeles, there's definitely, I mean, because like I said, reentry is personal. We do a one-on-one approach in those stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost like a buddy program. Anyone who's in like California's bigger cities like Sacramento, the Bay Area, Fresno, Los Angeles, San Diego. Um, because re-entry is personal, we're always looking for what I, I, I deem them like buddies, just like an adult who's willing to be a checkpoint for someone who got out mm-hmm. that can call and ask about just basic life advice, maybe vent a little bit if they're having a hard time. But um, then you know if they have if they're trying to see how do I talk to my boss about A B and C or is it normal? or you know how, do women normally should I call this person or not? Yeah. Um, we're always looking for buddies. And then anyone who does have the, the life skill is good at teaching financial literacy or computer literacy or um, even literal literacy, math skills. I mean, we have a lot of people that come out and they don't know how to read or write that well. Um, but basically anyone who has a skill, I mean, I think that's that's why I never know where to start it and where to end it. Anyone who has a skill, an interest or a passion, um, we definitely have people that can benefit from that. If nothing else, it's just that life exposure. And even more than that, it's the knowing that somebody else cared to to share that with them. And that goes mm-hmm. so far. Um, so anyone who wants to come to a community event that wants to hold a workshop, that wants to be a buddy, there's, there's endless room for that. Um, we have, we have one of our most amazing events. We have a, a, a surfer who just loves to share surf with the guys. And that's what we're doing next week. And we're teaching surf lessons. And he thinks that, you know, overcome over like learning to get in the ocean and overcoming your fear of, of the waves and getting up and. Um, it's like one of the biggest ways to harness any of your negative energy and to turn it into something positive. And it's one of our biggest successful events of the year. People go home just on cloud nine. Um, and again, just like a great community building event. And so he's just like, I love to surf. That's what I can offer them. And we're like, great, let's do a surf day. And this, we're doing our third one um, next week. And so, like I said, it's, it's hard to know where to end and where to stop, uh, where to start and where to end because it's all welcome for sure. Um, I started working with Anna because she, she's an art
1: therapist. For people who have skills, for people who want to help out, where's the best place for them to go and connect with you or how to get in contact with you?
0: We're really easy to reach by phone, email, or our website. Um, so our phone number is 323-391-8351. Um, our, our email, we're small, we're small grassroots organization. So the email, literally our whole staff gets our info, info at reevolutiongroup.com. Um, is two E's, R-E-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N group. And, and I, I, set it up. I didn't know, to be honest with you. So it's, it's a re- info at dot com for our email, but our website is www.revolutiongroup.org Perfect.
1: Perfect. All right. So everyone can find you there. Are you guys also on social media?
0: Uh, we do. I hate social media. I'm not going to lie. I have no part in it. <laughs> um, or, our, our, our Facebook is either, um, revolutionize at revolutionize is our handle. And on Instagram, it's at revolution group. Um, I'm, we're trying to make them the same one. We're like my, my partner and I both, she's older and I, I hate social media. So we like a year in finally got a, an administrative assistant who's younger and does it for us. But, um, I think they're supposed to be the same, the same handle or the same would be better. One day we'll fix that. But for now, that's what we got.
1: Perfect. Um, as we're wrapping up for the day, Um, how can, like, what, what golden nugget do you want to leave people with? Whether it's just something you want people to know, a quote that you love, like, what, what would you like to pass on to everybody listening in the Powerful Ladies community?
0: Mm, I have two quotes. Um, and I, and I, they're not just quotes. I think they are, they embody everything that we've been trying to talk about and everything. I hope if we can internalize these things in our hearts, and act with them, like in every moment, every day. Then the world would be such a better place. One, I'm probably going to miss it a word or two, but one is Martin Luther King, and he's my hero of all time. Um, that there's a little bit of um, darkness in all of us, and a little bit of good in all of us. And the moment that we can really realize that is the moment that we can all work together. We can all live together. And that's that's I love that, and so true. Um, and then, now that I said that quote, I'm forgetting my next quote. <laughs> Um, So maybe we'll just leave it at
1: that. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us, for being a yes to powerful ladies. I'm so glad that Anna connected us. I'm so thankful for the work you're doing. Um, Thank you for being a contribution to the people who need it the most and giving people a chance to have a second chance, like a real one, not just one that is lip service. So thank you for the work that you guys are doing.
0: Oh, and thanks to you too, both for the opportunity to be here and share our work and just to hear about your own like insights and connection to it because you're obviously well educated and well versed and, and and really care a lot. And so thank you for everything you're doing and spreading spreading the work of all the people that are doing such cool things.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. All the links to Connect with Christy and Revolution are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com forward slash podcast. There you can also leave comments and ask questions about this episode. Want more Powerful Ladies? Come follow us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies, where you can also find some free downloads to start being powerful today. Subscribe to this podcast and help us connect with more listeners like you by leaving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking to connect directly with me, please visit CaraDuffy.com. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.